I have a philosophy that I think is important, and it relies almost entirely around habits. Habits are the things that actually help you transform your life. And to that end, it makes me very happy to welcome to the show today, Jen Sincero. If you're not familiar with Jen's work, uh, as soon as I hold this book up, you will, um, because this thing has sold, I think, 3 million copies. Jen Sincero is the number one New York Times bestselling author, success coach, and motivational cattle prod, her words, not mine, uh, who's helped millions of people transform their personal and professional lives. Um, her first book, You Are a... It was her first book. It was her third book, but her first one that went mega... Um, you are a badass, how to stop doubting your greatness and start living an awesome life. Uh, that's where I first came into touch with her work. She's inspirational. She's to the point, her voice, her creative voice as an author is hilarious. So to the point, um, this, you know, the, the tough love humor combo is something that I really respond to. And I know that's part of at least the reason that so many people have uh, gravitated her work. And we're excited to talk about all kinds of things like transforming your life, this idea of you being a badass, what's required, how you can dump the, the narratives that you have in your life, maybe from a very, very young age, um, even, you know, pre you remembering them rewrite your story to help you do the things that you want. And we're also here to talk about her new book, which is called Badass Habits, Cultivate the Awareness, Boundaries, and Daily Upgrades You Need to Make Them Stick. So without further ado, it makes me very happy to welcome Jen Sincero to the show. Hey, quick question for you before we get into the episode. Do you feel stuck by any chance? Do you feel like your dreams are are a bit out of reach or you've got more potential with this one precious life than you're realizing today right this moment? Well, you know what? I got an idea. Life isn't about finding fulfillment and success. It's about creating it. So to that end, I wrote a book. It's a new book. It just dropped in September. It's called Creative Calling and it became an instant bestseller when it was released this past September. Now, if you dig this podcast, then this book is the perfect, and I mean perfect, companion because it takes the ideas we discuss here in the show, creativity, entrepreneurship, how to pursue your dreams and career, hobby, and in life, and it organizes them in a super clever and incredibly practical way that will help you take action in pursuit of your dreams. So I do have an ask, and that ask is that you pick up a copy or two, or who am I kidding, maybe 10, but again, Here's why. This is not about a transaction. This is about a message and a movement. You see, creativity is a force inside every one of us that when it's unleashed, it transforms our lives and delivers vitality to everything we do. Establishing a creative practice is therefore, in my opinion, the most valuable and urgent task that you can do. It's as important to our well-being as exercise and nutrition. So I put everything I had into this book. I mean everything. It's 10 years in the making. Now, I know from math and numbers that a lot of you who listen to the show have already purchased the book. And for that, I say thank you. Uh, and I have a, a separate ask of you. And that is, one, if you haven't left a review, it would mean the world to me. I read them regularly um, and I'm sharing them on my social and I'm just so grateful to have your feedback. And thing two, thank you for being the messengers for this book. I know, as do you, that word of mouth is the most powerful way that we learn about things in our culture. And the fact that the book you know, went straight to the bestseller lists and is continuing to um, 
have incredible traction on a global level. I know that you're active and I just want to say thanks. All right. Thanks very much for listening. And now let's get back into the show. Jen, thank you so much for being on the show. Welcome. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. New book time, right? (laughs) Oh, yeah. How long have you been working on this one? Oh, gosh. That question. (laughs) Perpetually, right? Actually, I worked on this longer than most. A couple of months in the actual writing, but, you know, many, many, like about a year in thinking about it and not writing it. How's that? (laughs) (laughs) I know that phase, too. I know it well. Um, Uh Thanks for so much for for being on the show. You've been um, a standout to me and those in my community for a long time. starting with your original that you are a badass, which I don't know how many millions of copies you're up to now, probably somewhere two or three or maybe more. Um, so first, congratulations. And second, I want to start way back at the beginning of time before you were a number one New York Times bestseller. And when you were stuck, because for so many people, that is a primary region that they're watching or listening. It's not just about inspiration. It's about actually moving forward and taking taking action, which for me was a foundational principle for uh, You Are a Badass. But take us back so that we know that you're human and uh, to a time when you were stuck before all the success and what made you write the book and get moving. Well, the beginning of time, wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know, I, like a lot of people, had some areas of my life together and other areas were a total train wreck. So I, you know, I was in a band and I was living by the beach and I was having a great time, but the money thing for me was really the big prickly insurmountable thorn bush, you know? And so, you know, by the, I, I hit 40 and I was living in a garage in an alley in Venice beach. And, um, and I was just, you know, it was always such a drama with me. And I was like, seriously, this is the best I can do. Like Jen Sincero, like I knew I had all this energy inside of me and I knew there was all this stuff I wanted to do. And, and I was just sucking at the money thing. So, um, that's when I decided to, to really just make it a project stat, like really do everything I knew how to do to get my money poop in a scoop. So, you know, I started reading money book, you know, books about money and wealth consciousness. And I started going to super cheesy seminars on how to be a millionaire. And I hired a coach and I just, I took it really, really, really seriously. And I did everything I knew how to do. So that was sort of the first step of crawling out of my hole. And, and what were you, so being in a band, was that your source of income? Because there's so many people right now. One of the things I think is the most misunderstood in culture is how to actually transition, right? You're doing one thing. Maybe it's something that sucks. It's the thing that's got you stuck, whether you're making money off the band or you're you know, waiting tables or... So what was your... Fi- we understand that the financial picture was uh, doom and gloom, but what were you actually doing to even to rent that garage and you know, how help paint a picture for us and go from waiting tables or whatever it was that you were doing to what, you know, toward what you aspired. Yeah. I, um, I was a freelance writer. So, well, there were two things I, I was doing pretty much anything I could do, but uh, <laughs> first of all, I, before I moved to Venice, I worked at a record company and I did ad copy. So I would write like Ozzy Osbourne's new album rips your head off. With, blah, blah. So I was an ad copywriter. 
And I was doing that now freelance in, in California when I moved there. And it was very, um, you know, not steady work, shall we say. So that was super trickly. And then I would just get any other freelance writing gigs I could get my hands on, just, you know, writing articles or, you know, writing, writing anything. But as a lot of freelance writers know, you spend a lot of time hustling. And for me, writing takes, it's pretty painful and takes me a long time. So when I really did the math, I was getting paid like $2 an hour between the hustling and the torturing myself over the writing and doing the actual writing. So that was not at all a good plan on getting rich. And then the other thing I was doing is I sort of stumbled into this women's entrepreneurial group that was called Ladies Who Launch. And I became a facilitator and it was basically me and 10 women in a room and we would sort of brainstorm their ideas on how to get their businesses off the ground, which was super fun and is sort of how I got my toe in the door to be a life coach. But, um, but it also, I made like maybe a thousand dollars a month doing it. So it was really pretty grim. <laughs> enough, to, enough to pay the rent in the garage probably, but not much more than that. Well, part of what I know about your work, and again, I'm very excited to talk about your new book, uh, which is around habits. Um, but before we get to, to habits, I want to establish a, some foundations of what my experience of your work is. And again, the people who are listening and watching out there, they identify as creators and entrepreneurs and people that want to take responsibility to transform their personal and professional lives. And at the core of <laughs> so many issues for me and the people in this community and others like us is the excuse excuses and you know you talk a lot about especially in your early work about excuses and about stories and these are stories that we are tell that we tell ourselves and most of which are not based in fact but based in self-loathing or frustration or you know to the point where you were stuck in the garage so i'm wondering if you can explain in your in your the jen sincero philosophy what role do stories and excuses play for keeping us stuck and and then how do we get out of it well you know this is why we always say that awareness is the key to transformation right because you've got to we we get so stuck in our stories and so stuck in our excuses that we don't even realize we're doing it right we take them as fact and as the truth of my situation so you know for me back in the garage i was like i suck at making money i'm in my 40s I don't know what the hell I'm doing. It's just not in the cards for me. And I, it wasn't until I, I, I like had to like crack open my brain to, to see outside of that story. Because the other thing is we get really attached to the, these stories, even when they suck and when they're not making our lives fun and productive because there's familiarity in them. And that's when, you know, this whole thing about getting outside of your comfort zone, it really is about getting outside of your familiarity zone because a lot of times, that familiarity zone is not comfortable. You know, the garage was not that comfy. So we fear getting, um, going into the unknown. It's the, it's the great terror of all human existence is the unknown. Even when the unknown could be leaps and bounds better than the known, we tend to cling to the known. And that's where these stories and excuses come in handy is they, they keep us safely tucked away in these known spaces. So a really huge first step in changing your life is busting yourself on the stories you're telling yourself that you've really taken on as the truth. It's a really 
interesting and very sobering thing to do because it gives you all the power. You know, if you created the story, you can create a new story. What's the first step in doing that? But I guess the second step, if the first step is awareness, uh, and I have the, both the, the benefit and the dubious, um, experience of my wife is a mindfulness and meditation coach and, and teacher. So this, this concept of awareness, I'm, I'm asking, asking for a friend, as they say, um, like what's, what's this, what's the second step? Cause I think, you know, and again, this is where I have heard and experienced and, you know, seen so many people like, okay, great. So I'm not telling myself the right story. Um, I'm aware that the living in a garage is not where I want to be. And I'm aware that I'm, I am foundationally capable of changing it. If not me, who, and then you look at all of the things you could possibly do and it's paralysis through analysis. And, you know, I want to, I want to not waste my time because I've wasted, you know, fill in the blank years. And I want to, I want to make my next action perfect. And we know that that's not true, but, what helped you? What's if, if the first one is awareness, what are steps two and three? Okay. So, and I want to actually start with steps one quickly. Um, how you get awareness of what your story is, is to really listen to the words that fly out of your mouth and listen, you know, and also listen to what your friends say. You tend to hang out with people who are at the same level. So if you and your friends, you know, for me, we were always bitching about how expensive everything was and how hard it was to make money. And for me, I discovered back in the day that like the number one phrase that I used like a million times a day was, I can't afford it. And so the specifics are the things that will always set you free. So having this vague idea that I wanna make more money and I wanna be able to do more things, that's very vague, but we've gotta get into specifics. So the first step is to become aware of what your specific story is and what the words and thoughts are around your number one complaint. So get those specifics down. So my mine was, I can't afford it. So once I busted myself on that, and once I made the hell bent for glory decision to get over myself and to start making some money, I, I did everything I knew how to do. So this is the other thing that's so important to remember is like, you got where you are by doing what you know how to do. So and that's all you can do, right? Because when you're transforming your life, you're going somewhere that you ain't never been before. So you're not right. going to know how to do it. But the universe demands that you do everything you know how to do. So for me in the garage, in my little schleppy life, what I knew how to do was to read books on money. I was like, yeah, well, I should probably educate myself on money. So I started reading books about money. I started going to money-making seminars. Like anything with a dollar sign or the word money, I was there. I didn't care. I didn't care what it was. So through these books and through these seminars, I started learning about the stories and I busted myself on I can't afford it. And one of the first steps I took, and this sounds so woo-woo and so stupid, but it was a game changer for me and for a lot of my clients moving forward was writing this mantra. And so I wrote a mantra against my number one story, which was I can't afford it. And um, actually in Badass Habits, I lay out this whole, um, procedure for writing a mantra. It's not that hard, but you just take the specific words of, I can't afford it. And you flip it around to something that calls up excitement and gives you the feeling of possibility and terror. And this is ridiculous. Who the hell am I? So for me, my opposite mantra was money flows to me easily and freely. So I went from, I can't afford it 
to money flows to me easily and freely because my main objections around money were it's going to be really hard for me to make it because I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Um, it's just going to be a shove and a, and a, you know, impossible. So flowing to me easily and freely seemed impossible and super exciting. So the first step for me was, was this mantra. And, and to, well, I, I, I keep going. I think I interrupted you there. There was a little bit of a lag. Yeah. I just, I don't, I mean, I could talk forever. <laughs> no, I love, this is like my, this is my, you know, this show has been 10 years uh, or 11 years running now. And the concept of long form is like, if I can keep you talking, then everybody who's listening and watching wins. So keep talking. Dangerous statement. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> so but what I want to say too about, um, about this mantra stuff is we love to be right. Human beings love to be right. And, and so when I was saying I can't afford it, I didn't realize it, but I was doing everything in my power to prove that, that my reality about I can't afford it was right. You know, anybody who challenged it being like, well, you know, Jen, you're pretty smart, you went to college, you've got a lot of, of ideas and talents, you know, you could change it. I'd be like, I can't change it. I'm in my 40s. I'm living in a garage. You know, I'm eating tuna out of a can every day. You know, I want, I was grouchy and, and I wanted to prove that I was right, right? So this is the whole ego getting in our way. So this is something to really watch out for. And this is the beautiful thing about the mantra is once I made the decision to change and I decided that money flows to me easily and freely was a new mantra, I still wanted to be right. But now I was proving that money flows to me easily and freely. So every time I wanted to say I can't afford it. I would make myself say money flows to me easily and freely. And I started building the foundation of my reality on that instead. So what that did was it forced me to find ways that money was flowing to me easily and freely. So, I mean, in the beginning, it was like I found a dollar on the ground. Um, I got a freelance gig out of nowhere. You know, it was definitely picking up scraps. But the other thing it did was it opened my mind to opportunities that were always there. But I was so busy that I, I, I proving I can't afford it, that I didn't see them. Right. So that's when I'm talking about, um, you don't know how to do the things that you're going to do in your transformed life. Cause you've never done them before. You do what you know how to do, but you stay open to possibility because possibility is there. Possibility is like waving its arm in the air being like, yo, but yeah. you can't because you're so busy proving your old story. When you start proving a new story, you open yourself up. So one of the other main first things I did was hire a coach who specialized in women entrepreneurs making money, right? So that was that was me to a T. That was exactly who I was. And this coach charged literally one third of my annual income, which honestly wasn't that much at the time, but for me it was epic, right? So yeah. had I been proving I can't afford it, I wouldn't have even noticed that opportunity. I would have immediately gone to I can't afford it and stayed struggling. But because money flows to me easily and freely and because I was so hell-bent to make change, when I met her and I realized that she could help me, instead of looking for an excuse as to why I couldn't hire her, I started looking for ways to come up with that money. And that's it. There's, but there's something that's so powerful in there. And I'm, I want to hinge this next little exchange we have around what, what were you saying to yourself? Was it only that money flows to me? uh, quickly and what was it? Something and easily. Really? Uh, yes. It, it, when you take the leap to hire the coach, you're terrified. All those things. 
was there clearly there's risk involved clearly there's fear involved clearly there you know you're playing against your biology your negative bias your 40 years of conditioning you're playing through all these things was it simply the mantra that gave you the courage and the power and the willingness to overcome it or were there some was there some other you know work or attributes or stuff at play because i'm i'm trying to put myself in the heads of you know, however many thousands of people are listening to this right now and they're, they're, oh my God, that's such a bold move. I don't have that boldness within me or, you know, it goes back to the story part, but help us help solve that problem for anyone who's listening. Question. That's a great, great question. So no, it wasn't just the mantra. It was the decision. So I had really made the decision to change my life. And this is, you know, I talk about this a lot and you are a badass about how a lot of people make these fake decisions where we decide until it gets too scary or too expensive or you risk looking like an idiot, right? That's not a decision. That's, that's you know, staying in your comfort zone and, you know, half-assing it. When you make a decision to change your life, if you are not scared out of your mind, you are doing something wrong. Absolutely, because you have to... You have to scare the crap out of yourself because the unfamiliar is terrifying for us, right? But it's also, it's funny, it's like that terror and that excitement are two sides of the exact same coin. It almost feels the same, right? So mm-hmm. that's the feeling you're going for. So, you know, taking huge risks, it, they, the, you'll know you're going in the right direction when you're equally as excited as terrified. So I was equally as excited and terrified when I met this woman. And believe me, like, I put it on a credit card. I don't even know how I got another credit card, but I just put it all on this credit card. And then like 15 minutes later, I called her back and begged her for my money back. She's like, this is probably the most important money you will ever spend in your life. And I'm such a nerd and such a straight A student. And I was so scared and I hate being in debt that I literally just, I did every single solitary thing she told me to do. And luckily she was a great coach, but she made me, oh my God, she, every day I had to do something I dreaded doing, but it kept pushing me and it kept stretching me. And it really is. It's, it's like building any other muscle, right? Like when you go to the, you have to push yourself, you have to stretch yourself and you have to go every day and you have to just keep upping it. And, um, and that, that's all this is, it's just a muscle. I love that. The, your, uh, I'm calling it your philosophy because I'm thinking about your entire body work now rather than one book or the other book, just the idea that the decision, you know, there's, there's wanting and then there's theorizing and conceptualizing and then there's actually deciding and whether, you know, it's an addict who's trying to get off of their particular addiction or in your case, the stories. Um, one thing that I feel like is uh, that you do a nice job of talking about, which is not popular in pop culture is to talk about our sort of family of origin and a lot of the narratives that, that everyone walks around with, you know, um, if you could, if there was a poster or a a digital readout of everything that you're saying to yourself for the world to see, I think we would, we would be scared because there's a lot, we're all carrying a lot of baggage around. And there's a line that I remember very clearly from, I don't remember which book, but that you've said it is we're all fucked up. And it's not our fault that we have this family of origin because you couldn't, we can't choose where we come from, but it is your fault if you decide to do nothing about it. Yeah. So 
where you talk, talk us through that because there are people right now who know that they have, you know, we've all got issues as the statements it shares, but so many, it goes back to the stories that we tell ourselves and the being stuck is that, that I can't do that because of, you know, my former partner or my parents or my fill in the blank. And this, you do such a good job of shifting ownership to the individual. You know, it was really interesting when I started doing this work. I kept reading the same things over and over and over. You know, it's like pay attention to your word, thoughts, and beliefs and shift your focus. And and, and I remember thinking, come on, like I cannot have spent the first 40 years of my life struggling and that's all I have to do. I really, I feel like we try to make it such a much bigger drama than it is because there's another great excuse, right? It has to be really hard. It has to be really mysterious. And it really isn't. I mean, I'm not saying you don't have to work hard. I'm not saying you don't have to take big risks because a lot of times you do, but it's, there's not that much to it. And one of the best things that you can do is jar yourself is to become the watcher, right? To pull away from, from your quote unquote reality that you did get from your parents you know you you are completely dependent on them when you're little and so everything they teach you and show you and model for you becomes the truth and it has to be the truth because if they're not grounded you're screwed right they yeah. are literally your lifeline to, to the most basic survival so this is a very primal thing that we have to go through to detach from what our blueprint was from our family right because if that's not true holy crap, like we have absolutely nothing to stand on. So this is why people spend entire lifetimes, you know, withering away in realities they they hate that don't make them happy because at least it's familiar. So it's, it's that chutzpah to just be like, all right, I'm going to risk it. I'm going to get on totally unknown, shaky ground and, and create the reality that I desire instead of the one that I was handed because the one I was handed isn't working for me. So it really is that decision and that agreement to get super uncomfortable, but you're already uncomfortable. That's sort of the cause. <laughs> like if you don't do it, you're sitting in the wet pant load of the, of the life that you were handed. Right. So you choose. <laughs> it, yeah. It's like a lesser of two evils, but it's so hard to frame that when you're in that sort of mindset of lack. And I think that's why the awareness piece that you talked about in your words, thoughts and actions, or, you know, as a lot of people say, you want to, you know, figure out what you prioritize, like at your bank account and your calendar. And that will tell you, um, sort of what headspace you're in. Yeah. So as we think about how to change, um, and this, you know, is related to your new book, um, Badass Habits, Cultivate the Awareness Boundaries and Daily Upgrades You Need to Make Them Stick. If we took a flyer and we had, it doesn't matter if we have success or failure on that, just the first step of getting unstuck. What I always um, think of when the word habit comes is like, how do you make something automatic because doing something once does not an automatic make. So, you know, the, the, the concept of breaking free or jumping out of the pair of the plane with the parachute or whatever, you know, ridiculous analogy we can put forward, it doesn't actually equal making it stick. And 
if especially if the first you know your first foray to getting uncomfortable you eat a shit sandwich you know that that you're not motivated or you're disincentivized to do it again and yet you 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 realize that you know just like the gym analogy that you meant you know working your muscle you can't actually get unstuck you can't actually make something permanent without it you can't create the success or the dream that you have for yourself without some sort of foundational habit so is is this just more of the same or is there is there something that unlocks this for us in in your new book well i do go deeper and do a couple things that i just touch on in the other books um and what i tried to do with my habit book like you know there's no lack of great books on how to form new habits out there in my opinion but what i wanted to do was to bring in a lot of things that I felt like all those books didn't go deeply enough into, which I actually feel like are the most important parts. And that would be your identity. It's actually the groundwork beneath the action. So I think a lot of times, like when you go on a diet, it's all about what you're eating and exercising and all that. And that is obviously very important, but the mindset behind it is far more important because that's, what's going to make it stick. So I do a lot of mindset work and I also put in, um, it's almost like a course because I feel like reading about all the ways to shift your habits is one thing, but actually doing it as you're reading the book, I really wanted to people to get results and to put it into practice while they were reading. So those are the sort of two things that I hopefully um, am bringing that will help people really stick to these habits. But um, this, this piece of identifying as the person you want to become before you get there, I think is so crucial and, um, it's something I talk about a lot because, you know, there's always that um, thing that they say when people win the lottery, if, you know, people win the lottery and they almost always go right back to where they started before they had the lottery money they want. Right. And the reason for that is because their outward reality changed. They suddenly now have ass loads of cash, but they still identify as somebody who is broke if they were broke when they won the money and that identity um, informs all their habits. So if you shift your identity, your habits, you have a much better chance of sticking with your habits. So for example, I love cigarettes. It is literally really one of my favorite things. And I plan on beginning smoking again when I'm 85. So it's really giving me some, it's really the, the dangling carrot. I can't wait, <laughs> but I haven't touched a cigarette. in like 30 years. And for me, and I had tried quitting a million times over and over, you know, I made bets with my friends, you know, I ended up paying many kegs to people who I promised <laughs> I was going to quit. Paying um, in kegs. I like it. You're going to show up with like 22 kegs. <laughs> I kept the entire state of Colorado drunk for years. <laughs> but, uh, but it wasn't, first of all, then I, it wasn't until I made the decision, like the really hardcore decision that, okay, enough of this shit. Like, it's just, it's so pain. You know, there were a couple of things working for me. One was it, I hate quitting. Like, it's so hard to quit. Even if you quit for like two months, then you start smoking again. And you got to quit again. Like, I just, I hated that process. And I also hated having something have control over me. Like I couldn't sit through a whole movie because by the end I was jonesing so bad that I had to leave to go have a cigarette and that drove me nuts. So those are sort of my two, and also, you know, I'm basically 
voluntarily killing myself and it's disgusting. But um, so I had sort of my specifics down on why I wanted to quit and the, and the emotion behind it. And then what I did was I shifted my identity from somebody who is a smoker who's trying to quit to a non-smoker. So, and that little shift was epic because when you're still identifying as somebody who's a smoker, but you're trying to quit, you're still negotiating with, well, maybe I'll just have a, a drag of a cigarette or, you know, uh, it's New Year's Eve, I'm gonna be drinking a lot, I'm just gonna smoke tonight, but tomorrow I'm gonna quit. There's always that negotiation because you still identify as somebody who smokes. When you stop identifying as that person and identify as somebody who's healthy and takes care of their body, you don't even enter into those negotiations. It's like, it's like negotiating when you wake up in the morning if you're gonna have a bottle of vodka for breakfast. If that's not your identity, it doesn't even come in to your radar. And so this identity piece is so huge because it knocks at that negotiation is where we all fall flat on our faces. When you're lying in bed and it's freezing out and you're negotiating whether you're going to go to the gym or not, or whether you're negotiating whether you're going to eat that entire cherry pie, you know, it's all, if you don't identify, you don't negotiate. And it, it, it makes it it's just honestly far more than anything you can set up in the physical world. That identity will get you where you want to go so much faster and help you stay there. I completely understand, identify, agree like this, the, the, like who, who you see yourself as is perhaps the most valuable asset. And that, you know, brings us directly to mindset, which is where I think the bulk of your work is. And, you know, as you said, there's so many great books out there on habits and most of them have to do with, you know, setting up your external inputs as favorable to you. So take in your case, do not have cigarettes around or change your, the group of people that you hang out with, or those are, I think that is commonly understood and, and certainly effective, mm -hmm. but this, what other aspects of the mindset piece go beyond identity and is in an area of which you said you've, I think you said you've done a ton of work. So help us understand. I'm also, to me, mindset is the most important thing because I, I, if you look at the world's top performers in literally any category, golf to chess to topiary gardeners, like the, the way that they talk to themselves, the, uh, the, the, the mental fitness is clearly the thing that separates the best in the world, right? What, what, what makes one, you know, tennis player better than the other? It's, it's, they can hit the ball roughly the same speed with the same accuracy. So for you, what, what other aspects behind, besides identity are, you know, are you, do you find are critical and at play in changing your life? I wrote a ton in this book also about boundary setting. And I think that that is sort of a very overlooked, in my experience, aspect of a lot of this mindset work. Um, and especially when you're actively, you know, taking the plunge to transform your life, this boundary piece is so important. And it's boundaries with yourself you know, like showing up for your own, your sweet self and making it clear to those around you that you need the space 
and time and encouragement that you need to change your life. And uh, it's interesting because once again, you know, we have this, these, you know, corpses that we're dragging around from our childhoods and all of the input that we get in that, you know, we are a bad person if we set boundaries or it's not safe to set boundaries or, you know, and there's, and there's lots of different kinds of boundaries. I think that we think a lot about the one where we just say yes to everything, but there's also saying no to things that you want to say yes to. And there's also being murkily enmeshed in other people's lives where you're trying to control them or you're letting them control you. So there's, there's all sorts of lovely ways you can screw yourself over with the boundary thing. But, uh, but I think it, it really, again, is, you know, clarity and specifics set everybody free. And, uh, and when it comes to outlining where you end and the rest of the world begins, when it comes to changing your life, and again, it's so simple. It really is just getting clear on what your needs are and getting clear on why you're grouchy and resentful and passive aggressive. It's probably because you have crappy boundaries. So getting clear on what would serve you and, and thereby lift everybody else up um, is another huge mindset piece that I think uh, is super important to pay attention to. I love the word from the subtitle of the book. Again, for those who are, uh, if, if it's ambiguous at all, we're talking about Jen's new book, uh, Badass Habits, Cultivate the Awareness Boundaries and Daily Upgrades. You need to make them stick. I love the concept of an upgrade because it's not a, it's not a, I'm in left field and I need to go into the bleachers or I'm, you know, in Africa and I need to go to Canada An upgrade. It's like, I'm in row nine and I need to get to row five. <laughs> it's not, it, it's sort of, there's a, a nice, it's a compartmental, um, mindset, if you will, around what's possible. How intentional, you know, was that word choice? And can you explain, you know, how you approach that in, not just in the book, but in life so that these things are, you know, that transformation is more easily achievable. I did not think of the way you just articulated it when I was writing it. And I love that. So I'm, I may take it. It's yours. You said it. (laughs) Yes. Um, you know, I wanted the, the reason, cause I do, that is a huge, huge part of that book is the bite-sized chunks that I break it down into. So, you know, we've been talking a lot about mindset and all that stuff, but I also give you the daily tasks to, to put these pieces in place along with the mindset. And I hopefully do all of it in really manageable pieces because throughout my life as a person trying to get their act together and also as a coach, I am convinced the number one killer of all dreams is overwhelm. You know, you just, you start and you're like, how the hell am I going to lose 50 pounds and get a six pack on my chest? Like it could seem so impossible. So if you, but if you break it down into bite-sized chunks, anything is possible. So I love that definition of upgrade. And um, when I put that in the title, in the subtitle, I wanted to make it clear that there were daily upgrades in this book that they were, it's almost a course. Like you get the, you get all the juicy mindset how to in the first half of the book. And then there's a 21 day upgrade course that you take in the second half of the book. And um, now I've forgotten your question. But no, you, you're nailing it. It's just like the concept of an upgrade. And to me, it was like proximity and possibility. I think the way that you just 
the, what I took away from your answer there is that it's it's sort of a more emphasis on the daily habit because if you're doing something daily, it it almost by definition, it's not what I'm going to be in ten years. It's what I'm going to do today and tomorrow and the next day for 21 days. I was fascinated with the the structure. I think it's a cool structure um, for a book. And speaking of overwhelm, right now people are saying, or, or lots of people may may be saying or have thought like. Oh my God, the concept, even the words like transform. I had that in the title of my book as well. Transform your life. It just sounds like, oh shit, I got to put a backpack of stuff on and climb a mountain. And when I get there, I got to do a thousand pushups and, you know, and then I might not even make it versus this concept of bite size, habit oriented. Um, and, you know, if overwhelm is one of the biggest obstacles. I just, I, I want to give you a shout out for the structure of the book, which as I'm a structure, I'm a creator. And so I have the crazy brain, but crazy brain without a little bit of structure is to me is a recipe for not well articulated thought. And I love the structure. So nice moves there. How do you think it, uh, it manages the overwhelm is just cause you, you just got a list of shit to do in front of you for the day. And we're going to manage overwhelm through getting up and just you know, instruction one, instruction two, instruction three, or I, I, I'm, I'm putting words in your mouth now, but tell me how you thought about it. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. I really, um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty impatient. That is definitely my, you know, quest in life here. I just to my, I'm not a patient person. I'm from New York. I want my, you know, whatever. <laughs> so when I write, I really try to be economical with my writing. Cause I think, you know, especially, in the second half of the book, I want people to get her done. I don't think they need to read 20 pages per day to get the information they need. I just want to give it to them as quickly and pithily. Is that a word? Yeah, we're, we're going with it. Okay, as possible. So, yeah, I, I did that very intentionally, was, was really try to boil it down so that they could get the information they need to then take the action that you need to take and just take it one day at a time. You know, one day at a time is a really beautiful philosophy. I don't know if, you know, what, what role this still plays for you, but I'm going back to some of your earlier work and the role of journaling. It just seems like the more we look around the world or those who are invested in helping, you know, transform themselves or live a life that's inspiring to them, tap into their dreams, whatever the phrase is, just seems like writing stuff down is, has value. And I'm wondering, you know, has your, I'm thinking again, back to your OG book, you're a badass, the original, it, you know, journaling the role, it, it played a significant role. And I'm wondering, has that transformed for you over time? Are you doubling down on it? Are you divorcing yourself from that? how, where, where does that hold space in your brain today? I'm sitting here thinking, should I lie? <laughs> <laughs> no, or, or even if it, if it, if you've moved on and, and now it's just about a daily practice and yeah. journaling is not part of that. Like, uh, and look, I, I, I advocate writing and I didn't write today. So, you know, it's interesting. My relationship with writing is talk about drama. But um, I, I will say that I'm a huge advocate of journaling 100% and I have clients who have to do it every day where they just spew and it, you know, it, it totally, I, I think seeing your thoughts down on a page is profoundly helpful and, 
and very transformative. Like you can start channeling things that you don't even know you felt when you start getting free form and then you look at it and you're like, oh my God, I didn't even realize that was going on. So I, I stand behind journaling 100%. Whether or not I personally do it every day is a different story, but I will tell you when I'm really working through something and I'm, um, you know, in that space where I'm done and I'm making a decision, I journal my ass off. So I'm much, again, I'm much more of a sprint runner. Like I write my books in a couple of months I do. And then I go backpacking for a couple of months. Like I'm a big on off person. That's my balance. And I guess it's the same with journaling, but I, you know, I believe in the power of writing and I, um, <laughs> I have found that almost everything I write comes truth. And that is this sort of witchy weirdness. So I've just always been like, I got to, you no, know, keep, no, keep talking. I, I want, we need the witchy weirdness. Keep going. <laughs> what do you mean by that? That's a big well, statement. So when I, well, you know, going way back, my very first book, don't sleep with your drummer. Uh, I had written a story about being in a rock band and I was getting screwed over by the record company in, in the story in a billion different ways. And my publisher ended up screwing me over in the exact same way and ended up using the exact same words that I had the record producer use with the band. Like it was making my hair stand up. And with You Are Badass, I had another really unfortunate thing with the publisher and I had to be such a badass. Like I had to take the biggest scary sleep. It ended up, it's a very long story, but it almost, I had a book deal and then we had a huge creative conflict and I had to yank that we couldn't find common ground. So I was like, all right, I'm going to give you your advance back and I'm going to self-publish this thing. And I was terrified because I knew myself and I was like, I'm not interested in being a self-publisher. I was so depressed, but I had to do it because I just, we just could not agree. And I wasn't going to put my name on something I wasn't proud of. And I had to be a total badass and I had to do everything that I had written about in that damn book. And then we ended up working it out. And with this last, with um, Badass Habits, <laughs> this is such a crazy story, but I went to a psychic recently and um, I've been having a lot of trouble with my right leg. I just, my hip, I might need a hip replacement. There's all this stuff going on with my leg. But I've also been like, okay, so what are my beliefs about flexibility and moving forward? And, you know, I'm doing all the woo-woo stuff on it. It's like, I'm gonna hire this psychic and just see if she can help me sort of figure out what I'm emotionally contributing to this pain in my right side. And so she does this whole thing where she's like talking to the ancestors before we start talking and she's, mm -hmm, oh yeah, mm -hmm. and this is all over the phone. So I don't know who she is. She doesn't know who I am. And then while she's talking to the ancestors, she's like, come on. And, and then, you know, whatever. And then she breaks their connection and then she's talking to me and then she's like, okay, well now I'm going to tell you that thing they said that I thought was so funny. And I was like, what was it? And she goes, it's actually, your hip is fucked. But one of the reasons that it's going down your whole leg is because you have a bad ass. It's your glute muscles. It's not the the knee muscle, the knee or the thigh. It's your badass. And I was like, oh my god, I've been writing books called Badass for almost ten years, and now it has come true. <laughs> so wow, take that for what it is. But now I'm like rolling around on tennis balls, and you know, it's all. <laughs> It's all happening in the glutes today. But. <laughs> <laughs> it's all in the ass. Yeah. Uh, no, I, but I want to keep pulling on this thread a little bit. You talked about you, earlier. You said the words "woo woo," and you, you you know you've made some subtle comments about whether or not that you know this is. It seems like you're saying oh, I'm not sure if this is viable or what, but there's clearly 
And there's something at work there, right? And you know, as someone who I, I choose to pay attention to coincidence like that, for example, versus reject it. And I think life's more interesting when we do that. But to be crystal, like the um, science is, you know, is starting to understand the role that, you know, postulating and manifesting and visualizing, for example, very tons and tons of studies for the, the one that is most commonly cited is the uh, free throws, the basketball free throws. There are a group of people who shot free throws every day. There is a group who didn't shoot free throws every day, but just visualized it. And then there's a group that did both. And the group that shot, that did not shoot a free throw were better than the people who only shot free throws every day. So clearly visualization and, um, you know, whether you couch it in quantum physics or, you know, Dr. Joe Dispenza or wherever, wherever you're couching it, this is a thing for you, right? And it's a thing for you, Jen. And how, like, what is your relationship with this? I don't know if it's spirituality or quantum physics or however you personally want to assign it, but you've, I don't want you to discount that stuff because I also have learned to pay attention to it. I think it's valuable. What's your role? What's, what's the relationship with those, those thoughts? Clearly you call the psychic, right? So yeah. there's something there. Oh yeah. Well, I'm glad you're busting me on my snarkiness that I still have around it, even though I 100% subscribe and I call myself a witch. I believe in all of it. I have seen it work over and over, but I'm still just the tiniest. You know what I think it is? And this is completely, I don't know. I feel like its it's got an, an unfortunate brand. You know, I live in Santa Fe now. It's like, it's a little much. So I'm still... <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Oh, you upgraded from uh, Venice, the Venice psychics to. <laughs> I know. However, I have totally drunk the Kool Aid and I'm just as guilty. So I am going to knock that off right now. I'm going to make a sure. habit of embracing my woundedness. Um, yeah, I, you know, and it's interesting. I think, uh, I don't know when this is going live, but I'm assuming the pandemic is still going to be happening. For sure. Uh, I think we're doing it. Your, your book drops on December 1st. So we're trying to go live in your book week because we know that that's super important for people to buy books to support authors in their launch week. So we're going to try and time it with that. But yes, the pandemic will be raging. Yes. Okay. The raging pandemic. So I have personally found because of the way my incredibly blessed and charmed life, just as I live it now, um, Everything is slowed down. You know, some people have 10 times more responsibilities and kids at home, and I'm not pretending that it's not happening for people. But for me, I have found because everything has slowed down so much and because I'm so much less distracted by going out and traveling and doing all the things that I usually do, the veil is so much thinner for me. And I am having, you know, the things that I think about and visualize and say out loud and write down manifest so quickly, it's making my hair stand up. And I'm a little grabby about this time because I feel like it's so juicy and I really want to uh, strengthen my muscle with it and, and deepen my relationship with that flow. And uh, it's, it's been just, and you know, it's always available to us. But I feel like right now it's almost like I'm living in a monastery because I'm in the middle of nowhere and I've got so little going on. You know, I am getting ready for my book launch and all that stuff. But comparatively speaking, everything's calmed way down. And uh, 
it's it's really exciting. Are there? All right, so you're. Give me one one more layer on that, if I can push on it. That is like so. You described it as woo, and you believe it, and you're you're reluctant to admit it. But now you're okay. Cool. I'm over that. I'm, today's the day. Um, can you share some like I think talking to a psychic is one thing. Um, what are some other tools that you use specifically to reinforce it, or do you do you use none and just agree that the universe is is working for us? you know, not against us. Like, are there some practices that you have that aren't in your books or if you were scared to admit them that you might be willing to admit to us today? <laughs> oh, I wish I had something really embarrassing. Juicy. <laughs> I know. No, it um, can be big. I, I think most of the stuff is banal, right? But like I visualize every day or like, what are some of the tools if you employ any to tap into that you called yourself a witch. You like, what are the practices? Because you've got plenty of names for all this stuff, woo woo, witch, all these things. But what are the like, what are the practices that you engage in to tap into it? Good old meditation is is by far the best one for me personally. And I do think journaling is a form of meditation, but just sitting quietly and getting into that that blank space. And then when I'm not actually actively meditating, calling back that blank space as often as I can be aware of it during the day, you know, when I'm, you know, when I'm having a conversation with somebody or when something's happening to me to, to really try and step aside and again, be that watcher and, and get out of my reaction mode and get into a responding mode where I'm catching myself in the knee jerk that, you know, the pre-program thing as opposed to getting out of victim mode of the situation and responding and, you know, not taking everything personally and just having a more playful relationship with the environment that I find myself in, if that makes sense. But oh, it really, yeah, I guess it's mostly the, the stepping aside and becoming the watcher instead of having the fight in the sandbox with whatever's going on. That's um, such a powerful thing. Like the, for the, for those folks who don't m meditate, that is long been sort of hashed out or, uh, witnessed or shared about meditation. I'm, I'm personally a TM guy. Um, but there, what, what Jen's talking about for those who this might be new is one of the aspects of meditation that it's like a muscle that strengthens is when something bad happens, someone cuts you off in traffic there's it it's like time slows down and rather than you like giving the finger to the person who cut you off you know there's this there's a gap that allows you to choose how to respond rather than react and and i describe it as like the world happening in slow motion i don't have the answer if i'm just quiet for still for a second i have a thoughtful answer and that makes us better so i think that's incredible that that space that you that meditation creates uh, is there anything else or i have a terrible feeling that i cut you off just a little bit there because of the lag no i mean and i also sitting and visualizing you know really getting clear on the specifics again that's it's all about specifics where when you when you've got an issue or a problem or something you want to heal just vision you know, let's take my leg like spending time sending light to my leg and visualizing my ass, you know, whatever is going on, but taking the time to visualize, um, what I desire. And, and the nice thing about that is 
not only does it help you, um, you know, help manifest it coming into physical nation, but it also pulls up objections. So if you're visualizing something that has always been hard for you or that you've tried a million times and failed at, and you're like, all right, I'm going to visualize it because I'm going to get down with this woo-woo stuff and I'm going to make it happen for myself. And you start getting into the specifics and visualizing it and it feels great and you're sailing along. And then all of a sudden, like the, the monster of, oh, as if you could lose 20 pounds, you've done it a trillion times. It always comes back like all of the doubt, fear and worry and your past proof comes up. So what a gift, because then you now have specific beliefs and words and thoughts that you can now use to your advantage because until you know the specifics of what your personal objections are, you're you're still a victim a victim to them. So it's it, it gives you that awareness. Love it. Love it. So I just got one more topic I want to go down the path with you around. Um and the concept of habits is obviously it's the it's the source of your new book you've talked about how the ecosystem sort of you felt like it was incomplete which is one of the reasons you wrote the book and if what what do you think your contribution to that discourse around habits is what's your what's your largest contribution and you know ultimately this is the thing that make uh, i believe um is going to make people want to buy this book versus something that hasn't stuck for them in the past. So what's sort of the nutshell of the approach that you're crafting here? You know, to me, it, it well, I'll, I'll save my commentary for after just what's, what's the, what's the pitch? Well, I feel like, can I have three? Mm-hmm. It's your show, Jen. You got as many as you want. You can have 38 if you want. Okay, so first two, I feel like we touched upon where the daily, I yeah. go deeply into the mindset stuff in the first half and um, stress how important that is and give people tools to shift their identity and set good boundaries and all that. And then the second thing is the course where I boil everything down into bite-sized pieces. I give you actual steps to take one easy day at a time so that you can start implementing this stuff instead of just reading the whole book and then being like, great, now I got to start this habit. The third thing that I think I bring to this stuff is a different voice where it's, it's got memoir and it's got humor and, um, and hopefully a lot of humiliating relatable stories that, you know, really help you see yourself and give you hope that you can overcome stuff too, because the people I'm writing about and which is usually myself <laughs> have overcome it too, but just to make it more of a, um, of a relatable read as opposed to something that might be a little bit more scientific or how to kind of thing. Your voice is my favorite thing about your writing. It, obviously it's laden with like real practical, tangible, tactical stuff, but to find myself laughing out loud and to be willing to buy anything that you put out in the world because it's la it's laced with humor and humility and you know all, all of that i think ultimately that's probably why we gravitate to any artist right we like their voice whether it's visually or or maybe there's other reasons but certainly for me that is something that is so stand out 
um, about you and your work. So I want to take a second and personally thank you for that. And my last question is for not just the writers out there, because this is about writing, but for all of the creators and the entrepreneurs, talk to us about your creative process. You, you, you mentioned being a sprinter. You said you like to write these things and then you, 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 is it like ebb and flow? I'm, you know, part of my mission in life is to understand, you know, the creative process from the world's best creators and they're all over the map, right? Some people only work on Tuesdays for two hours and some people sit down from nine to five and paint a picture for us. Now that we've, we're hooked on the book, uh, I want to know how you, how you work. Well, first there's the sweatpants. <laughs> I mean, Go back to voice here. Here we are right back into your voice. I love it. Oh man. You know, it's funny. I, I think this is my sixth or sixth book and, and I'm, I am, you know, whatever it's work. So I'm not, I'm not trying to change it, but I, um, I kind of envy those people who can get up, you know, write for a couple hours in the morning and then go have lunch with a friend and have a life outside of it. I, I, um, as I said, that sprint runner where I'm, I'm thinking about it. And the nice thing about it being my sixth book is I, I know how it goes now. So I don't spend the first, you know, publisher usually gives you about eight months or so. I don't know. That's what mine do. I don't spend the first, you know, six and a half months freaking out about my book and, and trying to write it and torturing myself and pulling out my hair. I just, I travel or I, you know, go on a hiking trip or whatever. I'm thinking about it and I'm taking notes, but I know myself and I am not going to sit my ass down in that chair until I've got a month to month and a half of terror and panic and a, a giant deadline looming over me because that's how I focus best and that's just how I do it. So now I know that. And so I just, um, you know, I get the room ready, I get the outfit ready and then I, um, I just hunker down and I also, you know, it's funny, especially with this book, especially during the pandemic and just everything being so weird. Um, I always go into kind of a fugue state. I don't know if you have this experience, but a lot of times I'll write something and I will not remember that I wrote it. So, uh, it's been really interesting now that I'm starting to do podcasts for this book and talk about the book and the specifics of the book. I'm so grateful that I also narrated it um, recently because when I was narrating it, I was like, oh. that's some good stuff in here. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, so if, if the room is the kitchen table and the outfit are the sweats, <laughs> what other inputs are there in your world that you have you know, do you write with music on in the background? Do you write early in the morning, late at night? Do you like to have a, you know, a green tea matcha smoothie? Like what, what's some other accoutrements with your process? You know, I usually, now I hire somebody to cook for me because food is always an issue. I don't, I hate going to the grocery store anyway, but when I'm writing a book, I definitely have somebody that, uh, make healthy food for me because then I always, I'm, I've become this major ice cream addict lately too. Like I have so much ice cream in my refrigerator. It's terrifying. <laughs> but, uh, I make sure I have lots of stuff. Like I feel like whatever it takes to get this book done is fair play. So I don't care whatever it is I get to have it. So with the ice cream, that's my big thing. Um, I call, you know, everybody in my life has to just understand that it's not personal, but they will not be hearing from me, um, at all. 
Um, except when I call them weeping at two o'clock in the morning, <laughs> thinking, you know, I can't do this. Um, what else? I do write all over the house. I always have an office. And oh, another thing that I do that I love that has been so helpful, you know, those huge, uh, they're like gigantic post-it notes that are have sticky stuff on the back. So um, I find it really helpful. This is sort of a visualization thing too. Like I always outline the crap out of my book before I write it, but then I need to sort of see the whole thing because as you know, there's always so much information that could easily fit into different chapters. So for me, it's so good to be able to see the actual book all around me visually. And then I can take note cards and move the little pieces of information um, in different chapters, like each note card is a chapter and then I can move the information around there. So I have one room that's just, it's like walking into the guts of my book. So that's a really, that's been a really helpful tool for me. Oh, I love that. I, I, I hate, I wrote my first book uh, a year ago, came out in the fall and, and the same thing was, so I'm a very visual person, lifelong photographer, visual artist. And so writing slow and painful. I'd done books before, but not, they were visual books, not like word books. Same thing. It's crazy. Like to have, you know, you're working on it in bite-sized chunks because that's how you write, right? You, you, you can't write a chapter with five keystrokes. So to be able to see how all the ideas fit together and, and make sense um, was so helpful. Right? Yellow stickies though, the, the, the giant yellow stickies. That's a new one. I'm taking notes on that. Yeah. Um, Thank you so much for sharing your process and the ideas behind your new book. And again, for those, this is the book uh, holidays. This is a fantastic gift. Badass habits, cultivate the awareness boundaries and daily upgrades you need to make them stick. Uh, beginning of December, I think that's just, you know, close. That's like two weeks from now. Um, congrats on the book. Thank you so the very last thing that I would like to leave our listeners and watchers with is on page 244 of a book. I'm not going to tell the readers which book of a book. There's one phrase and I want to know what you meant. The phrase is you can have it all. What did you mean by that? Uh, I'll just say it was at the end of one of the books. You can have it all. Because, listen, I... I'm obsessed with the idea that right now we are all on a planet in infinite space. And I find that so comforting in a way. I mean, it's utterly terrifying also, but it's all ridiculous. It's all this experience, this cartoon of being a human being in life on planet earth, like all the little minutia and, you know, like I can't get my iPhone to work or, all the stuff that we get, like the fact that my guy is vacuuming the pond right now while I'm finishing up like, all these little irritations, right? That happen that we get so attached to and, and, and get in there. When you remember to look outwards and look at the expanse of possibility and the fact that you are even born is bananas what it took for you to be born. All of the humans that had to come together and the timing and everything like that, it's a miracle. So if that can happen, you can do anything because that's impossible too. So I really believe that. No better place to end a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, and thanks for inspiring so many millions and millions. Uh, congrats on the new book. It's stunning. And you, your new take on habits is super helpful. I know it's going to be well received 
and just want to say thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. This was a joy. You're an amazing person to talk to. So I really appreciate it. it makes awesome. Oh, uh, well, we got to make sure the people out there buying the book again, this help Jen out because if you buy the book, especially right when this, right when you hear this, just click, you know, go click on your local bookstores website or any of the big boxes and get it. Cause we want, you know, what Jen's first book was only on the New York times list for four and a half years. So she's really struggling. Um, let's, let's uh, get our, uh, our community out and support her. Thanks so much again for being on the show, Jen. Uh, looking forward to uh, seeing the book on the shelves. Yeah. Thanks so much. Hey, that was an awesome episode. But before you bounce, just I got three quick thoughts. First, thank you for being in this community. It gives me so much juice. I can't even tell you so much juice that when I hit publish and this show goes out into the ether, that there's an amazing community of like-minded people just like you consuming and sharing the show. So thank you. Second, it would be huge. It would mean the world to me if you left a review at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Now, we're regularly featured at the top slot there on Apple's podcast page and others in Spotify, etc. And that's because of your reviews. So if you've ever wanted to uh, lend a hand or you got some value from me in the past and you want to pay it forward, that would be amazing. And then lastly, it would also mean the world to me if you shared the content that you get here whether it's a screenshot or a photo of where you're listening, anything via Instagram stories um, or any other social feeds tagging me and the guests. Now, I repost this content and your comments all the time, so I would love to share your shoutouts in my feed too. Um, not only do these shoutouts, uh, are, are they good for you and me, but they also help us book amazing guests because they see the reach that you cultivate. This is a way for you to help contribute to the show. So again, I want to say thanks. I'm just at Chase Jarvis. You can use at Creative Live as well. And the guests are easy to track down because they are, well, they're usually quite well-known people. Um, but again, thank you so much for listening. I'm looking forward to being in your ears again, hopefully tomorrow.